Curtis likes to talk. What? What? And I also learned a lot, though. The, all these podcasts are really just to teach persona stuff. You could restore it Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and with me, none other than Persona TT Showbiz. How's it going, Persona? <laughs> I, I'm good, Curtis. I actually don't recall that episode. Yeah, I don't know. Just another, just another psych reference. I don't know. It sounded funny, so I thought I'd borrow it. <laughs> uh, he's, just, he's just so good at at those crazy nicknames for Gus. So I, I wonder if he thought of it or if there was a writer whose only purpose on the show was to figure out crazy Nick, nickname names writer guy. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Hey, uh, we're going to bring on our podcast. We have another secret podcast guest and uh, this is a, a real person known only to us working at a real company. Um, but he is going to go by uh, an alternative nickname which he picked out and uh i actually had to look i'm i'm ashamed to say that i had to look up what that name meant uh we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about uh it's hard to stump you curtis that's surprising and i read the book series that it was based on so i'm 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 a little little sad maybe it's just you know old old age or whatever speaking of old age our guest has been in it for over 40 years and a backup admin since 99 so you know, he's been, you know, doing backups almost as long as I have, uh, but in IT way longer than I have. So uh, this will be a very interesting uh, conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Puddle Glum. Thanks. Glad to be here, Curtis. So I had a question in terms of yeah. your name, Puddle Glum. Yeah. Where did that? Yeah. How how did you pick that? And where, for, first off, where is it from and how did you pick it? All right, so this is for C.S. Lewis fans, and it comes from the series The Chronicles of Narnia. And I think the fourth or fifth book is The Silver Chair, and Puddleglum is the main character in The Silver Chair. And he is basically the character who makes Eeyore look like Pollyanna. (laughs) He is the eternal pessimist. He is assured that Nothing good will come of whatever they're doing. They're all going to die, but you know they might as well press on. You you do realize that some of our audience will not know who Pollyanna is either. Okay. You're gonna have to say like Hannah Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's quite right there, Curtis. <laughs> she was a pretty. She Hannah Montana was a pretty. You know. I would I would probably say like Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants. Okay, see, I don't get that reference because I'm not a SpongeBob um, person. But yeah, goodness, this is would you, we would you just talk about video and TV and commercials and shows well, and Prasanna the had whole the, show? The reference earlier, it's uh, Marvin, the paranoid android. That personality, yeah, yeah. from the but, yeah. but more pessimistic. But more pessimistic, hence the name yeah. Puddle Glum. That doesn't. Yeah. That just sounds like a very, you know, it's two unpleasant words put together. Hence Puddle yeah. Glum. Lewis is um, good at that. Yeah. So um, we wanted to, we, you know, by the way, I'm going to throw out our, our disclaimer. Uh, Persona and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. And uh, the, the reason 
that we have Puddle Glum on the podcast is what I'm about to say, which is if you've got a story, if you've got a backup story, if you just want to talk about your backup configuration, bore, even even if it's like the most boring backup, or you think it's the most boring backup configuration and it actually works and your restores work and all those things, uh, we'd love to talk to you, big or small. We love them all. Uh, we don't care what the product it is. It doesn't even have to be backup if it's security, networking related. Yeah. Right? Come talk stuff, to us. Yeah, stuff related to, you know, protecting your data in general. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also be sure to rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore so that we can, um, you know, get some more ratings out there and uh, maybe get a few more listeners in here. And uh, with that, let's start with you, Mr. Puddleglum, and um, tell us, basically, tell us about your, your backup environments overall, and then we'll get to the, 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 the special problem that you had. We've got a fairly large environment. Um, the main part of our backup is still operating what you and I know as TSM which is now oh, changed right. its name for the third time into, you know, Spectrum Protect. But <laughs> a lot of the stuff gets backed up through there. We've got um, some third-party add-on software that, that helps us with our VM backups, and then we have some other miscellaneous things. We've got a special product for our SQL database backups and such. But the, the thing that I wanted to come on and talk about tonight was our M365. That's fairly recent to us. We're migrating over to that. We're almost completely migrated. Before we get to that, I, I just want to ask you questions about your Spectrum Protect environment. J just so uh, I, I was just assuming because I'm from the outside when they changed the name from TSM to Spectrum Protect, was it pretty much just a name change? Um, is it just, it's, I mean, obviously they've continued to develop the product and whatnot, but uh, is it still the product that you and I know as TSM? Yeah, I, I would say so. It's for us, at least, it's been, you know, an evolutionary change, not nothing revolutionary. Right. So still like things like, um, uh, you know, the, obviously the incremental forever concept that they um, really pioneered there. And then also the, the joys of uh, co-location and reclamation and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. And large databases. Yeah. And large databases, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. I was just I, you're you're the first person I've talked to in a in a long time that, that that's actively using the product. So I I that was like one big question for me as to whether or not it was you know I mean um yeah you sound like you're talking Spanish to me because I I'm not familiar at all with the TSM side of things. Yeah, so it it, it was a it was a pro you know at at the time when it came out the idea that they so, so for file level backups, they were the first product that I'm aware that did incremental forever. Um, it, it was file level incremental forever, and and they never again did a full. But in in order to you know if when you're when you're doing tape, and you're doing incremental forever, you can potentially have when you go to restore a file system, you could potentially have tapes. That you got to read thousands yeah. of tapes, right? In fact, I, I remember one time when I was at a customer and we did a we did a restore of a twenty gigabyte twenty gigabyte file system, and it took like many days because of the number of tapes that I had to swap in and out. Right? Um, it it we spent most of the time just swapping tapes in and out because, and so 
to deal with that sort of challenge, that's what co-location and reclamation. Um, do you want to describe those features there, Podoglum? Yeah. So basically, GSM was really great at minimizing the amount of tape you had to buy. They were very efficient at using tape. So co-location would mean you would kind of group things together in a, a smaller pool of tapes. And then reclamation would go and when a tape started to have basically logical holes in it, you would take that tape and you would read everything off it and smash it back down to a full tape so that you had... And why, why would it have holes? Why would it have holes? Things age, things age off at different rates. So you back up right. a file system and some things age off sooner than others. So you're left with things that have expired but are still out there physically in the tape. It, it sounds almost like garbage collection or compaction, however you want to call it. It, it is absolutely garbage yeah. collection. It is. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's, a T, it's the TSM term for garbage collection. Um, co-location, what you would put backups of uh, like backups together onto tape, right? That was the idea? Yeah, like backups or things that were going to expire at the same rate, basically. Oh, right, right. That makes sense, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you would put, uh, and then with reclamation, the idea is you would say when a tape gets to a certain percentage and it was customer configurable, right? Right. And yeah. what, what would you, you typically set it to? Well, that's one of those things that you would tweak and tune and change yeah. depending on how many free tapes you had and how much time you had. Cause you could, if you set it too low you would spend all your time reclaiming tapes. That would, it would just be swapping right. tapes in and out all the time. So it's a balancing act between how much time do you want to do that and how efficient do you want to use your tapes. We yeah, usually were I, like maybe 60%. Mm-hmm. But that, that idea, and, and again, a, another question is, that idea of reclamation, did it become basically non a, a non-issue once you went to disp- you know, all disk-based backups? Or did you ever go to all disk based backups? We still use a certain amount of tape, but most of um, most of our stuff now is is disk based, um, just because of the new style of backups that they're able to do, and in the dedupe and compression, right, and right. the price of disks obviously has gone way down. So it's not as big a deal as it used to be. I mean, they always use disk, right? They always use disk as a front end. Right. That, well, th- th- I'm glad you brought that up because the, the, they were also, in addition to being the first product to do incremental forever, they were also the first product to uh, push disk caching, right? right. Um, and the it, it was sort of a hand in glove kind of thing. I think that like they needed disk caching because of how they did backups. Um, but the But they were they were absolutely the first comp- product that I remember that, that did this idea of backing up the disc and then, you know, what we now call disc to disc to tape. Right. Um, right. but the disc was really just a cache on its way to tape. It wasn't like a, a you know, a, it wasn't meant to be a permanent, uh, right. storing us, place. It literally lasted a day. You, you sized it for one, maybe two days. Right. 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 Um, and then, and then once you got to tape, then you had to deal with, you know, the things like uh, the reclamation, because uh, I know, um, and again, a lot of this is somewhat moot for a lot of people because they don't use tape as much as they used to. But, um, you know, you could, like you said, you could spend a significant amount of time running 
these these reclamation uh, projects. And then I know I know that um, uh, one problem that would happen is because uh, I talked to a few customers that did that. What would happen is they would they would keep setting their their reclamation settings lower and lower and lower or higher and higher and higher. I don't know whichever they would they would set them so that to reduce the amount of reclamation was happening. And mm-hmm. uh, because they were running out of hours in the day to do reclamation, and so they <laughs> kept in, instead of buying more tape drives, which cost money, they just started increasing how empty a tape had to be in order for it to get reclaimed. And then but at that's some bad point, though, right? Because you're well, restored. it's bad because the, if you don't do that, then you now you have many, many, many mostly empty tapes, which means that if you go to do a restore, you you're going to need to load all of those tapes to do a restore. You only do that until you have to do a restore, and then you get your hand slapped. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, uh, what do you call it? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's, yeah, that's a perfect thing. So, well, I'm I'm glad we could just talk a little bit about the the Spectrum Protect side of things. Um, And... um, so let's. So you 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 said you use Veeam. I'm assuming uh, that you probably also use it for your um, virtualization backups at this point. It's kind of a mixed bag right now. We've got uh, we're, we're sending some stuff still to TSM uh, via a third party product, uh, and some of the some of our environment we're backing up with Veeam. So it's it's mm-hmm. mixed there. Gotcha, and. Um, but you, you, so you, you start, you'd migrate, you said you, you've almost migrated all of your users over to Microsoft 365. Uh, and you said it's about 5,000 users and you, uh, how long have you been using Veeam's, uh, uh, Microsoft 365 offering? Uh, since we started that project, but it, that's only been maybe eight months. So why don't you tell us what it's like? how you configure it, you know, that sort of stuff. Where data ends up and sort of what your retention backup policies are, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, uh, the whole thing of doing M365 backup and using a product, like they call it VBO, um, Beam Backup Pro 365, is that you keep all the, the data in the cloud that it originates from to, in order to minimize your egress charges. So... You know, some people would, if they have on-site backup, you know, you'd basically take your data from the cloud, suck it down to your on-site backup system. Well, all of that movement of data, data incurs charges because you're, you're taking data out of the cloud. So in this scenario, everything lives in Azure. Sorry, just a question there. Does the customer pay egress costs when they're doing backup for Microsoft 365? Or is it yeah, only I, if they ever had to do a restore, then they would? I'm, I yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, I think I, I think uh, Potoglam. I think what you're saying is absolutely true in sort of a like an EC2 or like VM running in Azure. But I I didn't think that there was a if you're backing up Microsoft 365. I didn't think that there was a, an egress charge there. Do Do you know differently? If well, that is what I had been told. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that open for further research. My understanding okay. was, yeah, if you're taking it out of that cloud, you're going to, you're going to pay an egress charge. Yeah. I, I think well, pretty sure with Microsoft 365 and Google workspace, AKA G suite, um, that you don't have the issue of 
because they can't, they can't, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they give don't. give you API limits is all they well, give Well, they, they give you API limits, um, but those API limits would, they would happen regardless of where you sent the data. But that's interesting that you were, that you were told that that was the case. So, so what I'm hearing you say is you have your Veeam configuration running in a VM or VMs in Azure. And what is it? What does that configuration look like? Um, basically, a management server, a couple of proxies, a couple of repository servers, and the repository servers are again similar to what we had talked about to TSM's kind of temporary disk. They okay. They mainly hold metadata because the the actual storage for the bulk of the backup is in blob storage in Azure. Okay, so they are using Azure. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Persona. I was just saying, so yeah, so Blob Store is just Azure's object storage, similar to right. AWS's S3. Right. And uh, so that so that's interesting um, that uh, I wonder what, I wonder if that's because it's running in the cloud. Um, because my understanding is uh, Veeam basically needs to back up to block first, and then they can migrate older backups to object. Um, but maybe in your case, at least that's what I thought was the case. How, how, do you know how, how quickly it migrates out from the, the disk servers? I think it's pretty quick. I think it's, it's there temporarily because the repository servers that we have, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, a couple of hundred gig, you know, as opposed to a couple of hundred terabyte in the blob storage. So basically, no, think, they're really acting as a cache, just like you said, just like your TSM configuration. It's it's really even less than a cache. It's what they describe it as metadata. So I think the what they're trying to get around is um, because the, the blob storage can be a little bit slower. And, and when you move stuff in and out of the blob storage, again, my understanding was that you you have to pay for some of that. That, now, that is correct okay. <laughs> every so yeah blob blob storage is like the ultimate or object storage is the ultimate uh you pay literally every time you turn around <laughs> you know yeah. you pay when you put in you pay when you put when you pull out and there's both a like a, a transaction uh well i i know mainly aws stuff but there's a transaction as in when you put something in or when you put something out and then there's also a, a number of gigabytes um I'm uh, sorry, a transfer Keep fee. Right? So, yeah. yeah. So with right. Veeam's solution, my guess is that they are writing those objects directly to Object Store. I'm right. guessing that it is probably a different code base, possibly. I don't know the internal details, but my guess is it's probably different. And so instead of writing first to uh, disk and then or block storage and then writing to object, they're probably just writing directly to Object Store and only keeping their metadata and other information in Block right. Storage. Yeah. So this is basically the the metadata or the database, the backup database, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. That's what's sitting on the on the block uh, storage. Well, it's, it's description of the backup data. So, for example, if you're going to do a restore of a mailbox, it it brings up well, what you'd think. It brings up, you know, you pick your point in time that you want to look at, and it brings up your mail environment as it looked, and you can drill down and you know find the mailbox and find the folder and find the item. Well, it's pulling all that data from the metadata rather right, than right. having to go out and reconstruct it from the blob storage. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense, right? Um, and then when and you how have to restore the how data it's coming from blob. 
How do you decide how many of those you need? It sounds like you have multiple of them. Um, yeah, the um, breaking it up is more an aspect of the proxy servers and um, how many mailboxes you want to try to run at one time. Because um, Microsoft in M365 uh, limits, you know, it's got throttles out there that you can't see, you can't touch. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a couple of ways to kind of get around it. But, you know, one of the ways is you've got to split those up and back up, you know, kind of split up your groups of users into multiple jobs, multiple proxies, which then necessitates multiple repositories and blob stores. So interesting. So you're so and you're trying to do all of this management and mapping manually today? No. Um, well, half and half. What we did was knowing that we were going to have to move stuff around later. What we did was we created some dynamic groups within Azure, Azure Active Directory. So basically, we've got a group for every letter of the alphabet. So every user whose last name begins with A is in group A and then you know throw on through group Z and then we've we kind of tried to figure out how many users were in sections of alphabetical letters and then group those together in jobs so that we can further split them apart if we need to without having to go down to define individual users wow that and seems like something like it just seems that's a lot of work to try to split apart your users not really creating the creating the groups is was a rule it's basically a rule it's looking for first letter or last name once the groups are in place it's fairly easy to move them around gotcha and we don't we don't really rebalance very often um mm -hmm. so, so how do, how do you decide how many how many groups go into a proxy server Again, we're just looking to divide up the number of users evenly. Okay. So that okay. the load, right. we basically look at it like, okay, if the run times for all of these jobs are relatively close, then we know we've got it right. If, you know, one job's running 12 hours and one's running three, then we know we've got to go and, and fine tune it. And it's not an issue if you move, let's say, you've got A through E running to proxy server one, and then you realize that it's running long and you can take E and you can just move it to proxy server 17 and that doesn't that doesn't mess anything up from a restore will, perspective. Well, no, it doesn't mess anything up from restore because the central database tracks everything. So when you go to restore it doesn't you don't know nor do you care what proxy, what repository, what blob storage. Um, if you move stuff across proxies, you are going to do a full backup of that group on the new oh. proxy because you're going to go to a different repository. So you don't want to do it willy-nilly. You don't want to. You don't change these things around every week. Okay. So, um, so what? So you've got one main. Uh, what did you call it? The the management server. The, the management server. You got one management server, and then you've got how many proxies do you have for five thousand users? Well, we've got. We're in the we're in the process of expanding, so we're going to be going to four. Well, we'll have four proxies for repositories for blobs for oh oh so each each proxy again, has I, i'm going to use i'm going to use yeah I, i'm going to use aws terminology is it i don't know if they call it buckets uh so each 
proxy has its own blob area. I would call it bucket in S3. I don't know. Okay. All right. Which is why you have to force a full when you move a, a group from eight from one to another. Okay. Um, so what what size are these servers like? They're not huge. The proxies do require some CPU and memory because of um, the compression that they're doing mm -hmm. as they back up. Just a quick editor's note here. Uh, right after we had recorded this episode, I actually got an email from Puddleglum, and he said that he had checked his Azure portal and that he said his uh, proxies are eight CPUs and uh, 32 gigabytes of RAM, and his management server is four CPUs and 16 gigabytes. Hope that's helpful. The management server doesn't, doesn't really do much other than scheduling and parsing out the work. He's kind of like the manager, you know? He tells the yeah, workers okay. what to do. So he's not he. It's so it is interesting that basically what I would think of as the backup catalogs distributed across. You're calling it the metadata, which is fine. That's a perfect term. Um, I'm just saying there, there's some kind of database that's keeping track of all of the stuff, right? And it sounds like that database is distributed across the proxy servers rather than being stored on the on the main backup server, which is more more scalable that way. But do you have to worry about, like, if a proxy fails, though, like, say something happens, you lose access to the proxy, the disks get trashed, can they rebuild the proxy with all the metadata? Yes. You can You can actually take what's in the blob and rebuild it. Okay. That's okay. pretty good. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. You don't, so... Here's the thing. If you weren't using blob storage, you could literally keep the backups on the repository server. You, know, you could create a VM with a huge amount of disk and uh -huh. just keep the backup there. But that's probably okay. very expensive given the cost of yeah, the, the Azure disk, you know, on a server is a lot more expensive than blob storage. Yeah. And AWS it's two X. Is it more than that in Azure? Mm, I'm I'm pretty sure it's more than that. It's more? Okay. Yeah. I, well the way I say it is the cheapest block storage in AWS is 2x the most expensive uh, blob, blob storage, yeah. object storage mm -hmm. in AWS. So um, it, it, obviously, depending on which one you're comparing, it could be 50x. Um, but yeah, so, okay. Um, all right. So now that I've finally understood... <laughs> <laughs> configuration uh i haven't i haven't spent a lot of time in you know in the in the field with veeam so um you know I, I appreciate your your explaining things the interesting thing to me when i look at the monthly charges in azure i thought we i thought we were going to see basically the storage charge for the blob but it ends up that the processing the cpu is way more cost wise than the storage so far oh yeah I could see that, especially given the number of instances you have running. Yeah, yeah. and so you say they're smaller. Uh, you gave you gave an idea of the um, the size of the proxy servers. What about the management or the um, the repository servers? How big would they be? I think they still have four CPUs, but I think they have less RAM. They might have okay. only have twelve, and they're not never they're not as heavily used. So when I look at the the charges per month. And, you know, the lion's share is the CPU charges. Now I'm still confused. And we're going to get to the actual thing you came to talk about, by the way, at some, there, at there some point in this podcast. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is how we end up taking so long, just to do a podcast. But we're interested in backups. All right, so Puddleglum, I'm a little confused because I'm, and maybe this is 
more my familiarity with AWS versus Azure. <clears throat> but in AWS, you you have a VM and you have a VM of, of a certain size with a certain amount of disk attached to it. And that's a bill. That's, you know, $100 a month. It's a lot more than $100 a month, but it's $100 a month. And it will be $100 a month as forever unless you increase the, the number of CPUs or the amount of RAM or the number of gigabytes attached to that uh, that VM. But it sounds like it's different for you in Azure. Yeah, and I'm not the Azure person. I'm, I'm okay. a consumer of Azure, mm -hmm. but here's what yeah. I know. When, when I go into the portal that they've given me mm -hmm. and they produce mm -hmm. you know, a monthly bar graph, here's where your costs come from. Okay, there's X amount for the for the VM as far as the disk that you've got assigned to it. And then there's X amount for API calls that you issue there. And there's X amount for basically CPU. And that CPU charge moves. And really? the API charges move. Yes. And in fact, our company is, the people in the company who manage Azure have come to me and said, are you using these things 24 hours a day or can we power them off part of the day to bring down the costs. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to dig in I, and I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but I, I just I'm I'm a little confused by the idea that the CPU would go up and down based on your usage. Cuz I because I'm wondering it sounds if it's like also as if you're using like pay as you go also. Maybe maybe it's the way change. that you're provisioning yeah. that VM. Uh and you could probably pay more for the VM and pay the same all the time, maybe. Um, all right, I have to look into that. That's interesting. But again, I, I'm 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 a I'm a noob when it comes to Azure. Um, I know a lot more about AWS and that world. Um, but I but the more I think about the earlier topic that we talked about, the more I just know that there aren't egress charges out of 365 because the only way to back up 365 there there isn't here's here's newsflash there isn't a backup API for 365. Basically, every backup software product that's backing up 365 is pretending to be a user using 365. And, and you don't pay when users use 365. You pay X number of dollars per month for each user, which means there's there, there just can't be any you know uh, egress charges out of 365. So um, it, it would be interesting for you to sort of poke into that. And I, I just wanted to just throw that out there. But yeah, I will Let's definitely get, go back and ask that. Yeah. Um, what I think is it's possible, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here. What I think it's possible is that that might be being used as a sales tactic to tell a potential customer, well, you know, if you use another company that doesn't run in Azure, you're going to pay a bunch of egress charges. And it, that's just that's just total nonsense as far as I can tell. Um, but again, I could be wrong too, but I, I just don't see how there could be egress charges out of 365. There are egress charges out of Azure, out of, um, you know, AWS. If you're moving data out, um, even if you're moving data within regions in AWS, there is some kind of transfer charge. It's less than if you bring it out to anywhere else, but, you know, egress charges are a real thing. By the way, you will get egress charges out of Azure if you do any restores from Azure back to 365. If you do a restore from Azure to 365, there is probably some kind of transfer charge, egress charge, when that happens. Oh, from it the, might from be, the blob storage? It, yes. I would expect. Yeah, it's probably yeah. a data transfer out charge, not data an egress charge. Out. Yeah, yeah. Right. By the way, the egress charges is the is the um, what do you call it? The um, 
vernacular term for it. Nobody, none of the vendors officially call it egress charge. They call it data transfer charge. Let's your concern. Let's talk about, yeah. yeah, let's <laughs> talk about what actually brought you on the podcast after talking for forty minutes. Yeah. Um, so you had a configuration, and by the way, j- just interjection here. Part of it is this won't take us nearly as long as all of that, right? So, um, otherwise, this podcast would have been five minutes. So I'm Curtis likes to talk. What? What? And I also learned a lot, though. The, all these podcasts are really just to teach persona stuff. Young kid. Another editor's notes. At this point in the podcast, we actually switched from talking about um, just Veeam in general to his use of Veeam to back up Microsoft 365. I forgot to make that point when we were recording, so I'm making it now. So you had a problem when you went to go do a restore. What happened? Right. And yeah, the reason for being on this is I just want to get the word out to anybody who's using the product. And I'm not trying to bash it. We we actually like, you know, what we're doing and we like the product. It's been really... Um, and it's working. It's working, right? yeah. Um, but, but there was a misconception of some terminology that became serious. So what happened was Friday night, I'm in the drive-thru lane trying to get dinner and the phone rings and it's my manager which is never a good thing on after hours no. on a Friday night. He says, uh, <clears throat> Blum, our vice president <laughs> has accidentally has discovered that they had accidentally moved some archive folders that held all of their old emails that they wanted to keep forever into their inbox. And then our rules of how long you can keep things in your inbox immediately kicked in and whacked every mail item in those folders and they want those emails back okay we wait we have to, i thought this was going to take five minutes we have to talk about that that is <laughs> so puddle glum one of the one of the things that that we deal with um you know and this this is this is both me putting my druva hat on even though this isn't a druva podcast uh, and also just me as mr backup so many times we get into arguments with people about, well, you don't need to back up Microsoft 365. And, and mm, I, say the fr- yeah. I say the following phrase a lot. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And, and there are weird things that people, yeah. Well, there are weird things that people can do with their Microsoft 365 folders that aren't really dealt with. And that I would have never thought. So he had an archive folder that, isn't subject to your retention policy. So you're using, it sounds like 365 retention policies and you, and he has an archive folder that isn't subject to those policies. And he accidentally moved that archive folder into his inbox. And suddenly your retention policies kicked in and deleted all his stuff by design. Does that sound about right? That's correct. Crazy. And, and, and so why, so I'm going to ask a you know, I'm going to ask this purposeful, dumb question. So why wouldn't you be able to just get this out of his recycle bin? That comes at the end of the discussion. Okay. <laughs> All the right. answer All is right. you kind of can, but it's uh-huh. not pleasant. But it was, oh. it's incredibly painful. All right. All right. Let's, so let's go back to, so what happened when you, uh, did you okay. So here's a question. Did you get your meal or not? Did you? Did well, you just immediately... uh, my, my, uh, <laughs> I was the passenger, so yeah, I still got okay, the meal. Right. I didn't get a chance right. to eat it for several hours, oh, but you know, dang. it was cold and whatever, but 
Yeah. Anyway, they had already had somebody try to do the restore. So while I'm on the phone, somebody else on another team who handles the restores, who has rights to do restores, which I don't as the backup admin, they tried the restore. They were able to bring up the view of the folder. They could see the folders, but there was no email items. Well, there were some, but much less than what should have been there. Right. And as we're talking on the phone, my manager is saying, yeah, so-and-so did some research and came across this article that says, you know, if you've got your backup set up this way, you're really not backing up everything. And the way he described it, my, my initial reaction was no. There's no way nobody would design a backup option that does something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I assured him that that was certainly not the way that we configured it. And then, you know, sped like a speed racer back to mm -hmm. my computer and got logged on. Go and speed racer. Saw, yeah, go speed racer. Saw ex <laughs> Persona's like, what? I know speed racer. Saw, oh, okay. The old one or the new one? The old one. Okay. okay. All right. One All right. for you. <laughs> so I logged on and brought it up and saw exactly the same thing this guy did. And then started reading, reading through all these blogs that people had, had written. And I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> this is not good. And um, I'm like, huh, okay, do I fix the problem first or do I update my resume first? <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, this is a, what, an RPE, resume glue. producing event. Yeah. Oh, you were talking about CLM, a CLM, yeah. career limiting event. I, was, I call it an RPE, a resume producing event. Yeah. So long story short, um, and I say this to any, any Veeam users out there, here's what you need to check. If you're using VBO, go out and check your retention settings. And here's a part that I don't understand. The retention settings in Veeam's product for, for this product are set on the storage pool, not on the backup job. Don't really understand why that is. That's a little different than anything I've seen before. But anyway, you set the retention settings. There's two options. One is item level retention, and you give it a period of time that you want to retain items. And the second option is snapshot level retention. To my so, discredit, so, mm -hmm. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, for item level, you're referring to like specific email Right, that's the item. Well, that's that's the whole thing about reading it and and understanding it. When I read it, I read it through my lens of doing backups for thirty years, and I'm like, oh, well, we're back. We're not using any snapshot technology. You know, we're just backing up items, item by item, and I want to keep those items for thirty days. So I checked that option. I set thirty days. I'm like, well, obviously that's what I want. We're not doing snapshots. However, how it was explained to me later is that this is the definition in this product for item level retention. Whatever period of time you set, the product is not going to back up any item older than that. So if you have something that's a year old and you've set 30 days, it's never going to back it up. Say gotcha. uh, so it looks at the date, for example. Yeah. So it looks at right. the date of right. that item to determine if it falls within that retention policy. And if not, then it never 
not only does it not get or not only will you delete it from the backup, but you will also never back it up either. Right. You won't back up anything older than that. And the second thing is, if you do back it up, whatever your period of time is that you set, after that period of time, that backup falls off and gets deleted, even if that item still exists in the mailbox. So if you have Which an is, email... Yeah, yeah it's exactly. weird. That's You're basically right. the way 365 works, right? Is you, you can set a retention policy that says any item older than X number of days is purged. Right. right. Uh, and it sounds like that's what you're doing or what you right. were doing. Uh, I just, and I that's just, what was, it, yeah. that's what was explained to me later is what's well, trying to mimic that because some people have policies that they can't keep email older than X. And I'm, you know, I don't want to sit here and argue with whoever designed it, but I do think that probably most backup admins, when they read that, or at least a fair number of them, are going to be confused by that. So, if yeah, you're using I, the product, check that setting. Yeah, check that setting. And and basically, when they said snapshot level backup, they mean backup level retention, right? Um, they yeah, they, they refer to their backups as snapshots. Snapshot, what they're saying in that snapshot level is what I wanted. In other words, okay, for 30 days, I want to be able to go back 29 days ago, and I want to be able to recover anything in my mail system the way it looked at that point in time. Right. Right. And, and so if that's what you want, which again, unless normal, you're right? subject to some sort of legal thing that says you can't store emails longer than X number of days, then I, I don't know why you wouldn't do that option. Right. Um, right. the, the, um, let's say, um, so let me ask you this, is there a default and did you move it from the default? Was the default snapshot? And you said, oh, we're not doing snapshots. And you moved it to the other? Do you remember? Mm, well, you have to pick one of the two. I oh, think you have to pick the item level. Yeah, it's I think either item, item level, level or snapshot that. level. Yeah. I think item level is what it came in as. But it was a while ago when we set it up. So I'm not, right. I'm not sure. Right. But what you're saying is unless you want... I, I, I honestly... Unless you're subject to like regulatory requirements that says your backups can only last this long. Uh, I would not think you should ever set the item level retention. I would think you would want to do snapshot level retention and, well, and you would probably want to do apply across all of your folders too, all of your subfolders, yes, like, all of your subfolders, right? You know, we have that rule kind of in place, but we have a way that allows people to archive stuff. Right. Right. Um, so, um, and, and what, and what do you typically, what, what do you now have it set at? Do you have it set at 30 days or you have it set something longer than that? It was set at 30 days. That's, that's kind of our standard. Okay. Um, so did you flip it over to snapshot backups? We are, in the, of we are in the process. It's, it's not a, a quick thing for us to do. Why is it not a quick thing to do? Um, for one thing. Now that we know we've only ever been keeping 30 days, when we look at how much storage we've been using, that's <laughs> probably going to that's gonna explode. Yeah. So our understanding of how much storage we were going to use is, is gone way up, and the amount of data that we're going to process is gone way up. That's why we're basically doubling the proxies from two to four in the repositories and blob storage. 
So now I've got I've got to kind of reconfigure that. Yeah. I mean, not to mention it's the production system. I can't just go in and make changes off the cuff. You know, I've mm. got to go through change control and get new servers built and ah, change control. Yeah, this, this would this just seems like I mean, although I completely understand you don't want to change something that's going to break. You don't want it, like if you went and changed this on all your. You said it gets set where on the repository. On the repository, so you would want to just go and change the setting on all the repositories because it's going to significantly change or could significantly change how the backups run and suddenly you break the backups and you don't want to do that. Uh, but this, it would seem to me that this would fall under sort of like the, the vaccine, right? The emergency use authorizations, like, Hey, this is, we're not backing our stuff up. We need to fix this like now. So it seemed like you could go to the head of the line of the change management process, but you're right. You don't want to change it in such a way that breaks things. Right. It'll well, be interesting and- to see, uh, to have you back on, after you change it everywhere and to see how how much your configuration actually changed and i I should have mentioned yeah i also should have mentioned you can't you can't flip the switch so i have to i have to start a new set of jobs in a repository because once you set the setting you can't change it i can't change from item level to snapshot based so it also means you're forcing new fulls correct and are you thinking I, of running the fulls while you keep the old incrementals around because it may take some time to do the fulls? Yeah, we're going to, we basically got a plan where we're going to start migrating a group at a time. Again, those dynamic groups, we're going to, you know, move all of the A users over to the new jobs and exclude them from the old job on one day. Then the next day we'll do B and then, you know, like that. Hmm. So it's going to be a plan. I want to migrate well. by title, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, important people. People who could fire me, make that a group and then um, move them in there like like day one. Um, That I don't like at the end of the line. Yeah. So what (laughs) exactly? Yeah, we don't need your data. What uh, what? um, So what's the end of the actual story? What did you end up doing to recover this user's inbox? Oh, so, yeah. So you are correct that they were able to go back and get it from the deleted or recycled or whatever you call it folder. But what happens when you do that is that you lose all the folder structure. Right. So there were folders and subfolders and sub subfolders. And when they brought it back, this VP got all of the email dumped into her inbox. That must've been fun. Uh, At least you still have your job. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I would have. I would have fired him. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, although I love to say that you know my my backup career started with like the whole reason I'm you know I'm the backup guy is that I had a giant screw up right and we lost the the purchasing database for a thirty five billion dollar company and I didn't have a backup um, and and that that sort of began my. And, and I didn't get fired. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I joke. I don't want to fire anybody because they screwed up on their backups, but unless, unless you show that it's like purposeful malicious intent, malicious intent, that's a different, that's a different situation, but I don't think that you have malicious intent with this vice president in mind. No, not at all. I felt horrible. I mean, when I figured out what was going on, I just, my heart sank. I feel for you, man. Uh, 
that 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 cold meal probably was even worse it yeah. <laughs> made the cold meal yeah. even worse so yeah so again <clears throat> so those who think you don't need to back up 365 they're like oh well, see he he was able to recover it without but you're like this is one of the things that we say so many people have all this folder structure and when you pull stuff out of the recycle bin it doesn't go back into those folders it it goes back into a giant pile um, yep. And had it been malware, there wouldn't even have been that. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, because you can actually, by the way, you can actually configure. I don't know exactly what the policy was that you had that deleted the back or deleted those that folder, but you can actually specify in Microsoft retention policies that it doesn't go anywhere. Like meaning we only retain these files or these emails for three days or whatever your number is that you set. And when, when it gets deleted, it's gone. It doesn't even go into the recycle bin. And I thought oh. that's actually what had happened in your case. Yeah. Version of ship, de ship delete. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is well, essentially, yeah, because that's what happened. There's, there's a big, pretty well publicized story from uh, a, a KPMG where they had done this, where they had moved, a bunch of uh, private, they, they thought they had, they created a retention policy. They thought they were moving one person into that retention policy. And the retention policy said no, a retention of zero, meaning nothing gets retained ever. Um, and that was, the, that was the way of deleting this person's private chats. But instead of moving that person into it, they moved everybody in the company into that. And, and just like that deleted all the private chats for, like 150,000 people. Um, and, uh, and there's no backup, right? Because, um, because, right. So, um, all right. Well, I, I'm glad, I, I'm, I'm so glad you came on. I'm glad you, you shared your pain. And you also really helped, you know, for those of you that, that don't use Veeam, you helped us to understand sort of that configuration and how that, what that's like. Um, and also I'm really and now glad Curtis that is going about, to go research it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm also, I'm glad to talk to somebody that's actually using uh, Spectrum Protect and to hear that I was, I, I always like to hear that I was right. Um, you know, they, they, they talk about it like it's an all new product, right? Um, but I, I was pretty sure it was, it was basically just rebranded and, and I'm sure, I'm sure they've made, again, I'm sure they've made advancements on it, but it's not like it's an all new product, right? No, I mean, not from scratch, I would imagine not. Right, 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 and it still has those those concepts that uh, that that I think pertain. I think they're less relevant today, uh, you know. Assuming that you've moved off of uh, tape as your primary mechanism, but it, it sounds like you're still using tape as a part of that configuration. We are using, yeah, we're using some tape. It's drastically reduced from what it used to be. Gotcha. All right, persona, do we? Anything that we didn't get? No, I think we covered it all. Thank you, Puddle Glum. I know that I'm glad you still have your job, and I'm glad you're able to restore at least the VP's email. So that's a positive yeah. note in the story as well. <laughs> still having a job is, is good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And I want to also thank our listeners uh, for sticking with this, uh, this once again, we managed, I thought this was going to be a short one. It ended up being another long one. I think the common thread here is me. Uh, I just talk a lot and talk a lot back. I up. told you so. 
<clears throat> whatever. Yeah. Oh, he did. He did tell you so, didn't he? Um, yeah. Anyway, so, it's, uh, so thanks. Thanks for listening, folks. And make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space. It'll be completely done Maybe one day it-